Who are you? My name is Darth Vader. I am an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. Hey, this is Diamante, and you're listening to Jay Scott on The Hook Rock, and you can get my new album, American Dream, out May 7th. Good evening to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Hope everyone's doing well out there, staying safe, staying healthy. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast, the network of music podcasts. So check out Pantheon Pods, pantheonpodcast.com. You can follow them on Twitter at Pantheon Pods. They host a bunch of great podcasts like the Hook Rocks, such as. Mistress Carrie, who just started her Westwood One show here this week, and she's also, she's located in Boston. You have Martin Popoff, the author and historian, my boys from Shout Out Loudcast, you have Carmine Apice and Vinny Apice doing a podcast as well on Pantheon, so there's so much more, Cobras and Fires on there, so much more, so much to listen to, great product, great family to be a part of, so check them out, and also... Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, or Apple. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at The Hook Rocks or on Facebook. You can find us if you search The Hook Rocks. And uh, give us a shout. Write us a review. Tell us what you think. We're always happy to hear back from you and what you think of who we're talking about, who we're talking with. And we'd like to welcome in today, we go back to Southern California to the pier of Hermosa Beach. We had Mike on last year, fall of last year, where we talked about the guitar hero and the future of guitar, and we'd like to welcome him back, Mike Longacre from Mike's Guitar Parlor in Hermosa Beach, California, great custom guitar shop, and we're talking about the ultimate custom guitar builder, and that is Eddie Van Halen today. What's going on, Mike? How are you? It's great to connect with you again, Jay. Thanks for reaching out. Hey, always a pleasure to have you. You know, the only complaint I have is we don't do this enough. We don't do it as many times as we should, but nevertheless, I'm happy to have you back on the show. 
Yeah, maybe sometime when you're in California, you can do your your podcast directly from the from the shop. That would be awesome. That would I mean, be it really cool. Got the, you could see the pier from the window. I'm going to do that. I'm totally okay, going to do that. Well, that, that. I'll ink it. <laughs> that is uh, that is something that must be done. Must be done. Well, you so. got a great subject today, man. I'm excited about talking about this stuff. Yeah, there's, there's so many things. You that, know, that even personally. Yes, you know, in in the fall we lost the legend Eddie Van Halen. Um, yeah. you know, for me personally, I you know I can only speak of you know for myself, it 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 was pretty emotional because he was such a part of my life growing up. The band Van Halen was such a huge part of my life, and knowing that he's not here anymore to make more music and to you know give us the gift that uh, he gave us or keep giving us the gift that he that he gave us you know it was a little hard for for me to overcome and in, in, in uh you know mourn the loss of a, of a legend even though I didn't know him personally I felt like I did and you know I got the idea because there's a lot of Van Halen fans out there that know the music and there's also a lot of guitar geeks and guitar players out there that know all the tech stuff and the custom building stuff and what he meant to the guitar the instrument that sometimes I think the people who just enjoy the music don't appreciate or don't know what the impact was from Eddie Van Halen and, and the instrument of guitar. So that, that's what I want to dig into today because I think it's a great topic and I think people will really enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. There, there, we all felt that ripple effect, whether you knew of Eddie intimately as you know a creator of sound, of tones, of you know, countless songs that were, you know, on the radio from when we were teenagers up till, you know, modern. And, uh, I think social media in itself was uh, proof that uh, you couldn't get away from it. Like, even if you were really affected in a negative way where you felt just like you really lost something and just were a little off, uh, for a couple of days, it was just everywhere. And all his, model guitars and everything were just selling like crazy and people pulling out their old Kramers and bringing them in to have them re you know vitalized so they could play them it, it really was amazing it, it woke everybody up to what he really was you know that he was an older guy but he had done so much that it, it's easy to just get complacent and not realize what what he had created the wave of, of creation of things tone to guitars it is because, you know, there's the story of him going through dumpsters when he was a child with this guitar yeah. manufacturer by his house. And, you know, if the guitar wasn't perfect, the manufacturer would toss him. You know, they would get rid of him and he would go in there and he would take one part from one guitar, another from another, and he would build these guitars. And a lot of that is based on the situation with his family. His family didn't have a lot of money. And right. he couldn't afford to buy, you know, a guitar at a guitar shop. So he had to figure it out. I mean, he tells the story in a lot of interviews about how he had a guitar. I think it was from Montgomery Wards or something like that or Sears. Yeah. And he, well, it's you know, materials it on hand, right? Yeah. What you do. And, you know, for him to kind of have that, that foresight to do that, to get the sound that he was hearing in his head and to try to make the instrument better for him, 
I mean, obviously, there was so much practicing involved, too. I mean, there's these stories of him bringing his guitar to school and sitting at his desk, you know, in English class, just doing scales, you know, you know, just walking around with it. You know, friends of his from his youth always said he had his guitar around his neck. And, you know, those two components right there is is why there was the legend Eddie Van Halen. Well, he was so hungry, you know, for knowledge. He was hungry for expression. And, you know, clearly he had, you know, a past of music. He, I know he was self-taught on guitar, but his, you know, professional musician father had both of the boys uh, playing piano from a really young age. So, you know, it's no, no wonder that he was really comfortable with both fingers moving, you know, in the direction that they were. And he ended up surely at least adopting that uh, movement to the guitar eventually. Just like, why not? Why can't I do it on that? But it's not, this is more about the things that he's creating. But uh, for, for you to bring up the dumpster, such a great story. Most of luthiers, like myself even, that's how we started. You know, we, someone said, oh, I got this guitar. It's just in a big pile in a box in my closet. If you want it, you can have it, but you got to build me one out of that box too. And I mean, that's how I started. And, uh, you know, not being afraid to ask what you don't know. We didn't have YouTube videos and everything. You had, you know, great luthiers of the time, you know, that worked for me with like Nadine's music and Roman wrists and, uh, you know, Sammy Sanchez's and all those guys just helped me develop the knowledge of how to do things to guitar, but that Eddie did it on his own. It's awesome. When you think back of the history of custom guitar making and, you know, being a luthier like yourself, the limitations of guitar were well known in the seventies, right? I mean, at that time, Oh yeah. There really wasn't more you could do with the standard way of playing, you know, pedals are, are being developed in different ways to get, you know, a, a sound out of it, but really, you know, the only way to like play the guitar was a certain way, and Eddie was the one that expanded that. You know, he 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 didn't set limitations for himself, and again, that goes to building something that he wanted to hear, even from not just the the, the guitar, but from the amp and the and the watts and the and the and the amp and how it sounded and in trying to find a, a low end, a bottom end for, you know, better sound that all went right. into it. Yeah. Clearly that, you know, he, as far as I know, that Frankenstein thing that, that you're talking about, he, that's like 1974 maybe where he, you know, put a humbucker in a, in a strat platform with a Gibson neck bonded to it. And, uh, you know, had, basically one gas pedal on it. It wasn't all about tones and everything. I mean, his hands were able to draw tones. He could have gotten brown sound out of a wagon, probably. For those that don't know, and for those that have heard that term, what is the brown sound? Well, as I understand it, uh, he had an amplifier, a Marshall uh, 100 watt, and he plugged it into the house, and the, the light you know, the indicator lights were low on it. Like they're very dim and couldn't get a fart out of the thing. And then he realized it was an English model with different voltages. So he tried to wire it into the dimmer switch of his house. And I think he blew out all the fuses, but realized that there was something there and went to a, a hardware store in the day 
and they turned them onto the variac, which is a you know to vary the voltage to an amplifier, and tried it later, uh, and it makes the amp work a little harder to get voltage, and that's where you get that nutty you know front end of the amp tube getting you know in a in a place that's not natural for them, and it's crazy loud, but I don't think that was a problem for him at that time. It's so, so it's it was like almost by accident, sound. right? Yeah, uh, it was again to, to what you were saying about the guitars. He was looking for something, and then when he realized that the voltages was a, a change in sound, he tried to vary the voltage going into the amp to change the sound instead of varying the volume knobs and and whatnot. And uh, it it ended up being that that tone that everyone heard recorded through a mic into a board and onto a piece of tape was this thing that was ended up being called the brown sound but again it's with his guitars he was using you know those old explorers and uh, some strats and and humbucker tones but with the amp and his hands and the guitars that he had used for his sound uh that as a big whole all those food groups together created what became known as the brown sound which is a good one yeah like if you hear the intro to that ain't talking about love it's just an a minor with you know the notes plucked individually but that pick sound that he had that clicking just super aggressive attack on the strings with that tone with those pickups and then his just aggressive nature created something that does not sound like the A minors we grew up with. These aren't your dad's A minors. You mentioned Ain't Talking About Love from Van Halen's debut in 1978. And prior yeah. to that, there were so many great guitar players in the 70s and the late 60s. You know, everyone from Hendrix and Page to Joel Walsh and Leslie West and you name it. But there was a very, there was a similarity that tied all of them together. Um, because of those limitations that we talked about, you know, I mean, they all had their individual tone, and you can tell one guitar player from another. Right, exactly. Right, but it still was based on, I don't know if theory is the right word, or, you know, the familiarity of the instrument, and I've, I've read and watched interviews with so many different guitar players, just how much they changed after they heard Eddie play. The one that comes to mind immediately for me is Neil Sean, who did tour with Van Halen, I think on the Van Halen 2 album in 1979, or maybe it was Women and Children first. It was one or the other. And when you hear Neil's playing up until that point, and then after that, it's completely different. I think of the song Stone in Love from Escape, you know, with that... You know, with 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 more of a, you know, aggressive sound, aggressive tone in his playing, and that started to happen all over music. When so so when Eddie came out, it wasn't just guitar fans and kids wanting to play guitar and sound like him. It was his peers too, as well. They couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. It really is one of those uh, set of circumstances. I think in my opinion, that when you hear something that's been added and you realize that it's, it's the wave of the future, you know, all of a sudden everybody's got to start putting kale on their plates. It's just, 
it's what it was or what it had to be in a world where we were all listening to that those albums going god how in the hell does that happen now there's kids you know on youtube that are eight years old playing eruptions like it it changed people's view of what they were capable of doing or not instead of saying man i'm never gonna do that to oh man i'm i'm gonna get a guitar and do that it's just amazing it really did change the the scope and all the all the people they toured with surely changed because you're seeing the future of music or, or the future of, I shouldn't say that, the future of stylings of a guitar, right? Like what, what could be done. I also think too that, especially speaking for myself, hearing his playing and hearing Van Halen and hearing the tones and how he played, it gave the listener a sense of wonder. Like, because it, 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 it was so out there, it was so from outer space, yeah. you know. It was like it wasn't from this earth, and it, it, it piqued the curiosity of people. It, you know, people just wanted to see how he was doing it. And I don't know if there's been a musician since then that's been able to create that wonder. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely a huge vacuum for uh, styling and just pushing himself to do different things. I mean, it wasn't like he was a one trick pony. There's, you know, there's songs where he flows in and out of, of course he was known for his tapping, but you know, dive bomb stuff on tremolos and, and, uh, strange tunings, but his picking by itself kept going through his career where you could hear him change, not just the tones and amps and, and uh, recording stylings and everything, but his his actual phrasings and everything, you could still tell it was him, but he was changing and morphing into, you know, do something different and new and exciting, and he was an innovator for sure. There is that misconception. A lot of people do say, or maybe a lot of people, I shouldn't say, but there are people out there who like to say that Eddie never evolved as a guitar player. And I, I I have to hold myself back when I hear that yeah. because from Van Halen 1 all the way through to 1984 into the Sammy era, he was always chasing something, right? I mean, he of was... Of course, he even was, incorporating uh, piano. And, yes. And uh, just anyone that says he's just the, the tapping guy, just listen to the solo from Push Comes to Shove. That is just has everything. You just want to run someone off the road when you're hearing that solo it's so just off the hook and has tremolos in it that are just wild and some tapping in the toward the end and crazy attack in the beginning and it just it flows through the whole thing it never sounds like you know here's the flash you know tapping guy well he had an incredible sense of timing too you know like you know to come in and out from rhythm to lead back into rhythm without missing anything. Cause some people don't, or, or people don't realize that not all lead guitar players have great timing. Yeah. And, and for him to kind of, you know, to be that, I don't know if you call it a single line guitar player where you, you know, you, you basically play everything, you know, without yeah. you know, overdubbing from rhythm to lead back into rhythm. And, and you he comes right back in like where he's supposed to come back in and just the incredible sense of timing, which is just, 
for a lead guitar player who's doing all these things during a solo to have to be aware of where he's at in the song is yeah. something that is not appreciated. Yeah, well, clearly he has, you know, genetically connected to the drummer that he was with for his lifetime and was a drummer himself, as, you know, folklore says. But I, I, I know that when you play with someone, you know, if you're married to someone, you eventually take on a lot of their traits and things that maybe you didn't even like or, or, or attitudes or thought processes. And it's just, it's, it's inevitable when you're around something enough that you kind of morph into that. And I think to your point, timing is one of the most important to keep the listener engaged where it's not getting unplugged every once in a while because it's disjointed or, well, that was a weird way to come back to it. Like you say, you know, playing a lead, playing a rhythm, coming back to a lead and not, not having it sound like you're doing that. What, what do you think in terms of his evolution from the beginning to, you know, his last album, where do you think the biggest growth was in him? Was it the tone? Was it chasing that tone? Was it his playing? In, in your opinion, what was it? I think his biggest growth or, or the biggest changes that he were making was not being afraid to make change because clearly he could have just stuck with being Eddie Van Halen playing Van Halen 1, you know, through, he's, you know, written catalogs of music that no one will ever even hear. I mean, if you've seen those videos of him walking through his tape rooms and saying, I don't even know, no one even knows what these are, but they're just hours and hours and weeks and months of music that no one's even heard. And it's just kind of cataloged, and only I know how it's cataloged and just keeps walking through the studio doing the, the, you know, the tour or whatever. But I think just his growth of not being afraid of change. Like, remember he did that, he did like a whole album with a Steinberger style where it was like moving entire tunings through the Steinberger, what utilizing the tool that was available to him, like a new cutting tool for a chef. And just the, how can I apply this to me that will be my voice and that is a scary, scary place to go. I mean, if, if you think everyone's just going to love your stuff, I guess that's, that's your jam and good for you. But I think it's, it's scary. So we can all try to start a new business somewhere, and it's something we've never done, and it's terrifying. And if you've got a crowd base that loves your stylings and loves your band, and you know, all of a sudden you change the singer, or all of a sudden you change... There's piano in it now, or all of a sudden, you know what I mean? He was never afraid to do that. You could tell because he embraced it all in. And that is something that is one of my favorite things about Eddie Van Halen. Well, it's remarkable that here is this guitar god who's, you know, starting a whole genre of shredders. And then he goes and makes the album 1984 in the first instrumental on there is keyboard and then it goes into the song yeah. jump with keyboard you know and it's like what is going on like a guy that is has started i mean guys like satriani and vi and betancourt and all these guys are are here because of him yeah now just says yeah i think i'm gonna make a keyboard based album i mean that's that's <laughs> awesome. that's balls yeah. i mean that's just i mean 
like you said, that's that, got to be a scary place to go, but he embraced it. Yeah, it's it's powerful. And and to that, like I was, I kind of alluded to the Steinberger as you know one of the tools, but he clearly pointed out to the engineer type people that there was limitations to the tools. And though I know Floyd Rose developed the, the Floyd Rose tremolo and, you know, it's one of the biggest innovations for tremolo players that want to utilize its full capabilities and staying in tune. I know that I, they knew each other and his needs were clearly on the drawing board of what Floyd Rose was trying to accommodate. So while he didn't invent the Floyd Rose tremolo, he definitely embraced what you could do with it. And how did he, I don't want to say, maybe the, maybe the word discover is the wrong word, but, you know, how did he, you know, come across some of that or, or felt that he needed something like that with his plane? Well, I think, again, just seeking what is available to him to try to, I mean, we're just inventing this stuff in our head. There's probably interviews with him where he got to talk about this. I heard he was just such a humble guy to like be in a room with. But um, if, if there was something there to be utilized, you know, the drills on the strings, all that stuff, just crazy. How do I incorporate that and not make it a mess? Or maybe the mess is good. And the, the tremolo thing was just something that was part of his, you know, very few people can use vibrato on a tremolo and in your left hand, if you're left-handed, you guess it's a little different, but if, if you whack between one and the other to make it sound natural both ways or to utilize them both at the same time in a really cohesive way, he was a master at it. And clearly he needed it to stay in tune. I know it was popping out of the nut and everything for him, and he was trying to develop things up at the nut area uh, himself to try to hold the stuff together. And the Floyd Rose just made it so that it was, you know, a new planet for him. What were some of the other things that he developed? Or, you know, I know he's got uh, patents, well, yeah, got like patents it, we, on several things. <laughs> Yeah, he had patent on uh, that little flip-up leg that sticks on the back of the guitar so he could flip the guitar up like a lap steel player would hold it and do double-hand tapping and slide work on it, and then it would just pull back up while the strap was on you. So if you were standing up, you could just kick the thing back and it would prop up against your body and hold it in a you know perpendicular situation for you. And that was one of his patents. And the other one, clearly the most famous one, is the is the D tuna, which you know if you're if you're not someone that understands uh, tuning, there's there's a way to take the thickest string and go down a full step, depending on where your guitar is tuned to start from. But it, it allows you to have what's called a drop D tuning. And with a Floyd Rose tremolo, you can cause tuning problems when you try to go back if you if you go slack on the string. You know, once you're in D, you have to micro-adjust it. And he developed a system that attaches to the existing hardware of a Floyd Rose. And with a little flick of your, your wrist, it'll go from standard tuning to D tuning and then back to standard tuning. And it has a micro-adjuster that you do when you install it. And then it's done. Once it's in, it's in. And it goes 
flows in from drop D to standard tuning effortlessly. It, it really was a, a huge breakthrough for guys that love doing drop tuning without, you know, reaching over with your left hand and grabbing the tuner and tuning it or uh, stopping the band, you know, for a second so you could hear yourself think or go look at your tuner while you're doing it. Just flip the switch and there you go. It's done. Just powerful. For those listening and don't know, what is, you know, drop D tuning? Well, that's, that's the magic, right? It's to, it's as if you're holding a chord uh, when you move up and down the neck, you can really hold the first three strings, uh, the thickest string, uh, with one finger in it as if you're holding a chord shape. So drop D makes you sound, it makes the guitar sound a little more bassy because you get to go to a frequency that's lower, uh, that isn't, you don't, you don't even have that note of a D power chord when you're tuned to E because it's, one louder, <laughs> but it, it's really powerful to have a tool that lets you wax back and forth between standard tuning and that extra low tuning with just one flick of the wrist. Just really cool. I've installed many of them here, and they do work. It's, it's something to look into if that's something you do, and have a Floyd and don't use it. Plus, there was also you know the use of the whammy too as well right i mean no one really used it like he did um prior to playing yeah i mean and again we're talking like from 74 to 78 you know randy rhodes was doing it but he was more uh of his stuff was more almost baroque lines you know classically uh incorporated solo phrasing which as we all know was equally as uh, different in its time and changing and um, groundbreaking in those styles, but uh, his his use of the tremolo was definitely in another place. As and he needed it to be in tune for sure. I think too. I mean, with his background in classical piano playing, and you know, he has talked about being in these recitals and him and his brother always winning because his mother, you know, was one of those teachers that would always slap the hand and, and, uh, you know, make him do it over again. And that perfection that was demanded of them. I think that translated into his playing too, as well. And the influence of classical music on his playing. I mean, I know Dave Lee Roth brought that Dave Clark five, that beach boy, that good time element, but you know, in the backdrop I don't even say if it's in the backdrop, but also in the forefront was, you know, that influence of just, you know, the, the, I mean, when you hear eruption and when you hear, you know, the tapping and going up and down the fretboard and you hear the, you know, the progression of, of his playing, it's, it's almost like a classical music piece. Yeah. I mean, clearly that early years of developing, um, regimental, understanding of music through piano and having, you know, a professional musician in the family and a, and his father and having the, the dictator of, you know, having to get stuff done properly with the mom, clearly what you're saying. But, uh, that when you can, when you put that in a pile with a guy that was just hungry to play all the time and 
find the extremes of what an instrument was capable of doing. And if it didn't do it, try to develop a way to help it do what you wanted to do. All of those, all of those things made him what he was. I mean, his style helped him create, you know, guitars. I need a flatter fretboard. So it's easier to do big, crazy bends on, or, you know, what scale neck do I need? All of those things. Even if he didn't know why he was doing it, he, had to seek it out and then it got to the point where he could develop his own guitar company for crying out loud and that's really where he went you know later on in his career where he you know he had a team of engineers and developers creating you know his wolfgang amps and his pedals and and whatever you know he wanted to do and chase after he was developing that for the guitar player right as far as you compare that stuff to Marshall and some of the other, you know, brands like Orange, where does that, you know, where do they compare? Where are they similar and how are they different? Well, everyone has their own secret best tone in their head, right? It's not, everyone's not going to want Eddie's tone. Everyone's not going to want Leslie West's tone to your earlier point or, you know, Larry Carlton, maybe it's, Maybe it's Joe Pass or, you know, jazz sounds or something. So every amp um, is, is capable of creating a platform built around the type of sounds that you want. And clearly from Eddie's, you know, shenanigans with the, with the uh, voltage regulator, uh, Variac system, that, you know, became very clear. You needed to have a master volume and then have a way to make the amp get distorted on its own and then adjust the volume to the listener. But each amp doesn't offer that. There's Everybody has their own set of tones. So I think amps, to your, to your question, how are they different? They're, they're different in the people who developed them were going after their tone, not making an amp that is everyone's tone. There's, you know, you know like uh, the axe effect, you know, the fractal unit just does everything you can create every tune in it it's a very deep program you need to have great ears and know what you're looking for or you're going to be a mess with it you need to have an amp that's intuitive so that as you make small adjustments to try to get it closer to what you're going for for with their preset sound like a line six let's say for example where they they've taken the greatest tones let's call them, of vendors and marshals and voxes and ampegs and everything and put it all into one, quote, easy-to-use box, you know, you can manipulate the tones from those areas of presets. And there are amps that do the one-trick pony that might be what you want. Like maybe you want a really blown-out, bright, sound and you can only get that from like an old Beatles box like an AC30 or something but you're going to spend you know three to five thousand dollars to get something for that and if you want it to sound like brown sound you're going to need to have another amp for that and you know Metallica is that if you're doing all those things so I don't I don't think it really is you know can an amp get everybody's sound I don't I don't think that's really possible they can get close but if your ears are really tuned in to what it is you're looking for 
I, I think you kind of got to have the amp that was developed for that. If it's a clean tone, get that amp. If it's a breaking up smoothly tone, get that. And if you're looking for the brown sound, you might have to, you know, get a couple of pedals in front of what you got and use your ear. You can get amps to do a lot of things as long as you're hungry to get that one sound and you have something to base it off of. Like you can go back to your headphones and hear what Van Halen was doing or, you know, like you said, Neil Sean. That's another really hard tone to get. It's hard to get ACDC tone. I mean, you would think that is, you know, just distorted guitar. That is one of the most elusive sounds I've ever helped clients develop from their rig uh, for live performances. And it's really rewarding when you get it because they are hearing something else and they're going about it the wrong way, getting a couple, you know, three, four pedals. You're like, man, that is, there is almost no pedals in front of that. And when they hear it, finally, <laughs> I had a guy with an orange amp that had like a, a, a flight pattern of pedals and it ended up having one pedal. And he's like, really? I got to just not use any of these? And I plugged his guitar into that one pedal and into that orange amp. And it was exactly like back in black. It's so rewarding for him. And for me, you know, to make him swallow the pill of, look, it's not everything. It's less of everything to get that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty basic sound, right? I mean, ACDC, you know. To the ear it is, but man, you UAB, like what you think is ACDC and then play it, it, it is really elusive. It's almost like clean, playing clean and mixing it with a higher gain, but still very clean. Every note, you can hear every note. It's not so fuzzed out or so overly driven or distorted that it becomes a mush. It's really art. It's articulated. Very strange. It, it, you know, we're talking about Eddie Van Halen. One of the songs, or one of the albums that he bonded with with Wolfgang was "Powerage" by ACDC. Like that was the oh yeah, that was the album that like really brought them together musically. Um, and I, I know Eddie's gone on, um, gone on record as saying. Um, Oh God, I can't remember the name of the song off Powerage. Um, it's got the quote "Ten Cent Millionaire" in it. Um, Down Payment Blues. Down Payment Blues yeah. was like one of his favorite ACDC songs. So cool. Or fifty. I love that his son is involved too. You know, to me, that's the proof of the passion in Eddie's musical pursuit. Because you can't, you know, my son's twenty three and he's a photographer and ended up being a drummer, you know, and everyone was always saying, Hey, when's he going to play guitar? And I, I was like, when he want, when he begged me for it, cause I'm not going to make him play something for me. He'll hate it. And you know, the fact that they played together just, just warms my heart. And he really gives me, you know, faith in, in uh, you know, connection. You have a son, you know, so it's, it's like something you, you secretly do dream about, you know, that's like, wow, he, well, how cool would that be for him to love what I love doing and do it on a professional level on a stage? I mean, how many of us get to do that? It's really cool. I, I said, you know, when I did a tribute episode to him after he passed, what it must have been like for him 
to look to his right and see Wolfgang and then look behind him and see Alex. And, yeah. You know, Come on. You know, coming to this country with nothing. And, you know, here he is. He's got his brother that's been through the trenches and the wars with him. And then he's got his son who is his legacy at, you know, I mean, his son's going to form his own style of music and his, in his own brand, like he did, but the legacy of him playing in his passion, as you mentioned, lives within his son. Yeah. That's really cool. Arenas of people singing his song, playing with his family, you know, in decades. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So good. You know, it's that's, a dream. It really is. You know, that's why, you know, people have the argument, you know, Sammy or Dave, Sammy or Dave. And at the end of the day, it's all Eddie. It's it's yeah. Eddie, you know? I mean, as you know, whether you like Sammy Hagar more than Dave Lee Roth or vice versa, it's Eddie playing guitar. That's what Van Halen is. You know, I mean, that's what Van Halen is not Van Halen without it. I mean, I, I hate to state the obvious or hate to, you know, you know, say that because it's so clear, but I, I never understood that argument because I like both. Yeah, I loved it all too. Yeah, and truly, to what I was saying earlier, where he would take something that was given to him and it just extract everything possible from the instrument. And I'm not suggesting that you know the Jerome or or Sammy Hagar or anyone else that sang with him, even on you know any anything. You know, he he was able to take a singer and incorporate that to make it something new and special and changed and not afraid to do it. It's just awesome. It totally is. I mean, what do you think, you know, when you do what you do, you know, custom building guitars, because you have that sense of wonder and you have that creativity and you have a sound or a tone that you're chasing and you understand when someone else is looking for something too. Where, oh yeah. Where, how much of an influence is Eddie on your field of work? What you do? That is a really, really great question. It is inevitable that I was going to build guitars close to Eddie's style with humbuckers in solid bodies and uh, flatter fretboards. Everything that he was doing in the beginning that not only did it look cool, but you know, they clearly had a sound that I was chasing and how do I make these play better? And, you know, here I am today, 35 years with the guitar stuff and, uh, doing setups for, you know, 20 people a week, which it's, it's not the only thing I do, but I love it. And custom building guitars for people. I had, you know, like, a someone recently asked me to build one for a, a soccer team, like a, you know, the custom design, custom painted, custom necks and tremolos and everything. And you get to tell them what each, you know, each piece will do. And it's really fun. And it's really fun because I have watched that guy build all of those weird guitars. And like you said, just picking them out of the trash and get figuring out how to do it on his own to me is just is inspiring and so i think most of all just feel inspired by van halen for sure from the beginning 
to go through that thought process, you know, like when you're putting together something and you're chasing a sound, you're chasing a tone, and you're trying to figure out what's going to get that sound that you hear in your head or if you, if someone's been able to explain it to you the right way, you know, chasing their tone, how, you know, in the mind of editing in what you do, how do you go about the process? I mean, I'm sure everyone's different, just like everyone's playing is different, but how do you kind of break it down and find what you're looking for? Well, the first thing, it's really not hard at all. The first thing you do is ask them what they're playing through currently and what is the type of guitar and who is it they're trying to sound the most like so that their ear is so tuned with that one song. And then it's a lot easier from that. That's the first step. If they're like, I don't know, I just want it kind of, you know, neat. (laughs) You can't, you don't have anything to compare it to. And once you have a, a song, then, and you look at their guitar and you're like, well, you're clearly using, you know, a screwdriver for a hammer, you know, let's, let's try this. And then by, because I have enough inventory of so many different things and some star owned stuff, it's easier to have them, you know, like maybe they're used to a really fat neck with, um, single coils, like a, a 50 style strat, but they want to have to what we were just saying, like ACDC, let's just use that. You're never going to get a strat. I don't care what, modeling amp you've got or you know you could put a different pickup in there if you absolutely love that neck maybe that's our answer here let's hear what that pickup styling sounds like through your amp and give him a guitar with the pickup he's thinking of putting in there or make a suggestion I think you're using the wrong amp or it is super rewarding to have someone tell you what they're trying to get as a sound and develop a guitar and make it play through their existing amps and have it be the sound that they're looking for. That's like the ultimate. You might not make as much money doing that, but it's the, it's short of having like your son come in and give him his first couple of chords and having him just love the guitar from that day and end up going and buying guitars and playing chords and can't get off the computer learning new songs. That's, that's the most rewarding probably. I still remember being in your shop with him and him telling you, you're asking, you, you asked him what kind of guitar he wanted. And he goes, a flying V. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, you're like, you need some meat around that, you know, around that neck to, to, to get a certain tone. Cause it's very hard to get a certain tone on a flying V because there's not a lot of wood, yeah. not a lot of bass around what you're trying to do. Aside from not being fun to hold when you're, you know, that, that age and, you know, standing there holding a V there's nothing no strap or anything you're just kind of fighting it it's interesting and then you know now he he loves you know the, the, the Strat and Gibson style guitars um, you know which both have unique sounds too as well right. um, how old is he now? he's 16 oh my god that's awesome good for you yeah Such I was I was uh, I was in a uh, he had to get his guitar fixed because he has this habit of pulling the cord out too hard and he he's always got to get yeah. it fixed. So I was, I was getting it fixed while he was in school one day and I was asking the guy about Telecasters and he goes, he goes, why are you looking at a Telecaster? I'm like, Oh, you know, some likes Richie Kotzen. He goes, he goes, I don't know if there's anyone else that can get a tone out of a telly like Kotzen can. <laughs> yeah. You know, he goes like, you're, yeah, you're, you're, your son may not get that tone that, that, that Kotzen's getting. 
you know? Yeah, well, you know, there's a... I, I just built a telecaster that is like this chameleon purple to blue metaflake. I called it lowrider because it just looks like lowrider paint, but it has an extra fret on it, and it's a really flat profile, and it has two humbuckers in it, and I have it so that they're splittable so you can get a, a Strat-style tone or a Tele-style tone out of it. It has a custom-made Tele bridge that uh, holds a humbucker, and so there's a five-position switch that lets you switch between you know, single coil or strat down to humbucker, which is more like less Paul tone and it's alder. So it's heavy, like a Les Paul. And, uh, it's a telly you can actually get that cotton tone out of. So it can be done. Interesting. Yeah. Cause he, I mean, I mean, tellies are really bright so- sounding, you know? Um, and he, I mean, the way Richie just plays is just, I, I still, every time I watch him play, my mouth drops when he's not using the pick and he's just, doing all these different kinds of things on it. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah, well, he's got a new album out, too. You should interview that guy. He's just so I, I did with well. the, with Adrian Smith. I just had him on in Oh, March. I love that. Yes. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, he um, he came on, and he came on last year, too, when he did the 50 for 50 album. So um, great guy to talk to. Really, you know. Yeah, so cool. Just um, very, uh, has a great perspective on things, and, um, an interesting style of how he produces and writes music. Yeah, for sure. Back to Eddie, you know, we've talked about the Brown sound, you know, the drop detuning, you know, the tapping Floyd Rose. What is his probably biggest influence on the guitar, the instrument? Well, most people would say the tapping because he incorporated it so much into his styling that that you know became a signature thing for him and i think uh hit that and the fact that he just loved playing like that everyone will say you know like what is what was the thing eddie loved the most about it just playing period just all the time always playing he could be talking to an interviewer and just playing while he's talking it was just amazing so inspiring as a guitar player to see someone so connected to an instrument that they're just not even thinking about it and they're playing. I love that. Is there a guitar solo, a, a song by Van Halen that you know you regard as his, you know, biggest crowning achievement? That is so loaded. Everyone's got it's like looking for guitar tone. I love that push comes to shove solo. That's to me like everything he could, he could do better than so many people. And, and he puts together this tapestry of every different style he did in the one solo. My son says that's his best solo. In fact, we just had this, this conversation like two weeks ago. He's like, dad, which one uh, push comes to shove. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Cause the song is, is deceptive. It's not like that. Just, slamming rock song but man when that thing comes on it is just it is on i always liked fools fools to me especially the intro um you know that guitar solo in the beginning it just sets yeah. the tone it's just it just it's just got a great and of course mean street too is um is so defining as oh, well. 
Yeah, there's. I mean, you could we could do this radio show for an hour and just go over every song that we love. I mean, as far as rhythm goes, I think Atomic Punk is another monster. Just, just crazy good songwriting. Come on. I can't wait for the date that some you know for some of the stuff that he's gotten his vaults to see the light of day because you know you people always make the Me argument too. you know people always make the argument well if it was good it already would have been released I don't know if that's always the case maybe I was, don't think so either yeah no way he wrote too much of it right and maybe he couldn't find a, a place a home for it sometimes you know sometimes you've got a really good lick or a really good solo or whatever you're doing yeah, it's not done and it's not and he can't find the right vehicle for it you know oh my god can you imagine just being able to listen even even just edited so it was just the hook of good ideas that he had that never saw the light of day as far as we knew it would be worth an album I would totally buy an album of just like thirty Me second, too. Let's thirty get on second that. clips of him of his playing. <laughs> the like, hooks that never were. Oh yes. my god! Over over one hundred oh. riffs for you know five hundred bucks. I'm like sold. I'm buying that. You heard it here first on J J Radio. <laughs> Jeez Louise! I, you know, Please. Yeah, I mean George Lynch was talking about that too about a year and a half ago when I had him on about you know he's got all these like ideas on his phone. And I and I go. Yeah. Why don't you just release you just humming riffs, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm like, I'd buy that. He's like, you would. I'm like, sure. I'm like, absolutely, I'd buy your ideas, like stuff that hasn't made it. He's like, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'll do that. I'm like, you know, just do like a limited release of like, you know, 500 copies or something like that. It's been a blast, man. It has. Um, it's been a great conversation. I really enjoy it. Um, you Me know. too, Jay. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Please don't be a stranger. And I still think it's a good idea for you if you come out here with your son. Get him in here. Get him on this microphone with you and we'll do your show from here. I don't have to be in the show. I'll just be the guy standing in the corner making mimosas or something. That, I, that is a totally awesome idea. I have to do that because he loved your shop. And, you know, I still show him pictures of, like, you know, him playing with all the guitars in the background and I'm like, yeah, this is like the first day you learned how to play. That's great. Oh, man, wait till you see the new one across the street where I'm at now. Jesus, It's just another planet. It's just out of the box crazy. Like five times. I sold more guitars in the last eight months than I did in two years in the other building. You know, that's a good question. I mean, are you seeing that because of the pandemic? I mean, I think we talked about this before where more people aren't putting off the purchase that they've wanted, you know, a guitar they've wanted to buy anymore. Or they had, you know, they were supposed to go to Europe for their trip and they didn't. And they want more me and it's just money in the bank. And I've always wanted that thing. And Mike's right down the street and it surely had something to do with it. It's not people that are, well, I've got time. I'm home. I'm not at work. I want to learn to play guitar because these are, it's very boutique. The guitars are, you know, very specialized weights or colors or owned by somebody special or, you know, 60 years old or, you know, whatever. And it's, they're moving like just crazy. I love it. I, I, you know, I just read an article too where Gibson was out of inventory or no, Guitar Center. Guitar Center was out of inventory. Well, guess who makes their guitars? Your guitar center doesn't make them. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like all, you know, Fender and Gibson and everybody else is just 
just going at both ends. Gibson just broke ground on the acoustic plant. You know, they they have most of the the electrics and solid bodies are all made over in Nashville, and the acoustics are made in Bozeman, Montana. And I still talk to all of those guys there on the floor, and they they just broke ground on a new huge facility to connect to it to help meet the demand. The argument can be made that the pandemic did save Gibson. Well, they were already, you know, in restructuring and, you know, the owner just had a lot of people upset with, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel and, you know, doing some kind of kooky stuff with the guitars designs that had been around iconically for years. And, you know, they, they were already, he had already sold the Memphis plant, you know, to try to stop some of the bleeding. And it really was a place where I think, as I understand it, even the, the uh, lenders that was going to handle the, the restructuring said that they wouldn't allow it. I think it was Jeffrey's was saying that it, they wouldn't allow it unless Henry left the company because he had such a, a bad track record of trying to, you know, be changing things in a cowboy way. Mm-hmm. And so they got this, this new guy is, you know, a guy that get, gets into companies and, rebrands them as what they were like he did Levi Strauss and I think either K2 or vocal skis and he's a guitar player and all the guys I talked to at Bozeman anyway they love it he comes in and it's like hey you guys you know why don't you have music playing while you're doing your stuff it's what you do like that kind of mentality like let's make let's make it let's make it great again as they said but uh, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the craftsmen at that Bozeman plant because every guitar I get in here, if it's on the wall for more than a month, I'm amazed. Wow. Like high end stuff. And these are players that know what they're doing with them, right? It's like a chef looking for a sharp knife and they come in and, you know, I make my own saddles for them and everything. But it's, I I think uh, a bigger facility for them to help meet the demands of, Clearly, the playing public is, is a great idea, and it shows the commitment that they have. Like in the middle of this, where you know we're starting to come out of a pandemic, I hope that's what I'm feeling. That um, I hope that that's what's happening. That they can show that we bid in and made a bigger facility to help meet those needs, and that's aggressive and scary, like we were talking about earlier doing something that's not for sure yeah well man we could talk anyway, for hours Jay, you're the best <laughs> thank you thank you thanks, um, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you it's always such a great topic and out of the blue i mean i love it you didn't talk about eddie's playing style like everyone else did for you know clearly months but more about the developments that were a result of such a great aggressive driven mind for music in general so fun yeah i think it's an interesting you know uh, perspective especially for van halen fans who just knew the music and i'm sure there's a lot of fans out there that know van halen that hear about eddie being innovative and hear about eddie developing all these things and you know it's like it's like speaking a foreign language to to those people so hopefully this episode makes them understand a bit more of what he meant to 
the limitations and exceeding those limitations of the guitar and the influence he had on custom guitar makers like yourself, you know, and, right. and how, you know, I don't want to say he lived in poverty, but how not having the means to buy things and not having, you know, coming from a family that had the means to, to buy a guitar, you know, that was a good guitar meant that he had to develop this stuff meant that he was his, just hungry. Yeah. Because he was hungry who's to say if he would have got a Fender Strat, if his, if his dad would have bought him a Fender Strat at the age of 11 or however old he was, he would have been maybe a different player, right? Maybe he, For sure. maybe he wouldn't have had that motivation to build something and develop something and create joy for thousands upon thousands of people. I mean, that's just, I love it when, it, when you, when that perspective comes like, it, it, you know, he was born into a situation and I'm sure there were are worse situations for many people, but he had to find a, a way to make it happen. And he didn't stop until he found what he was looking for. Yeah. God bless him. It changed the way I built guitars for sure. Yeah. Mike, it's been awesome, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You you call me anytime you want. And hurry up and get your kid out here and, and get in the shop at least just for fun. And get out of your spring in Chicago and get into our summer of Hermosa Beach. We got to do it. I, I, yeah, we got to do it. So, All right, everybody. That's Mike Longacre from Mike's Custom Guitar Shop in – is it Custom Guitar Parlor? Or Mike's yeah, guitar- it's at Mike's, at Mike's Guitar Parlor. Okay. At Mike's Guitar Parlor in Hermosa Beach, right on the pier there. It's a great spot. If you're ever, you know, down the beach towns like Manhattan, Redondo, I don't even think it's that. It's, yep. It's like 20 They're minutes. only a mile apart, each yeah. one of them. Yeah. So if you're in one of those cities, you can you can walk here. Yeah. And, and uh, as you're walking down Pier Avenue, you're, before you hit the sand, I'm on the left side. Awesome. Go check it out, people. Go check out his shop. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Me Podcast, part of Pantheon Podcast Network. Like and subscribe wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for stopping by. Stay strong. Stay healthy. And we'll talk again soon. Sides
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 